The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. So we're going to start this morning asking a few questions. There may be questions you've heard before, and I'd love for them to fall on new ears this morning. And so I really want you to consider these questions. Do you know Jesus? Sounds like a simple question. Do you know Jesus? Are you familiar with the kingdom of God? And some follow-up questions to that is, do you obey Jesus? A different but similar question. Do you obey Jesus? And are you a part of the kingdom of God? Do you know Jesus? Are you familiar with the kingdom of God? Do you obey Jesus? Are you a part of the kingdom of God? And the best way I can think to summarize those questions into one question is how open are we to the kingdom of God? Meaning if you're standing before Jesus and he's teaching, or you read something in the text and it doesn't fit your Christian categories, if it's not something you expected the creator, the sustainer, the savior to say, how open are we to hear and obey from Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Are you familiar with the kingdom? Do you obey Jesus? Are you a part of the kingdom? How open are we to the kingdom of God? Well, this morning we're finishing up Mark chapter 4. We'll start in verse 21. I'd love for you to turn there. And as you turn there, I want to remind you a little bit about the book of Mark. This is a brilliant, brilliant storyteller being God through Mark. And Mark is slowly deconstructing the religion that Israel has created. Mark is slowly deconstructing the religion that Israel has created. So as he's deconstructing this Judaism, he's gradually showing us who Jesus is. This is brilliant. So actually by showing us who Jesus is, he's deconstructing these preconceived, traditional, routine notions of religion. These are almost one and the same thing, where Jesus is fulfilling the law, and as Mark's telling us this, and the storytelling, the story he is telling us is deconstructing these ideas that the Jews had made about who God is and the very heart of the law. This is just brilliant, brilliant um, storytelling here. We're going to start in verse 21, and he said to them, is a, lamp, is a lamp brought in to be under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
There's a lot of words in these short verses here. And I want to clarify one thing. Jesus is the lamp. So if you're a linear thinker, if you're thinking, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? What's the symbolism here? All of these things within the parables. I want to tell you, Jesus is the lamp. Wonderful. He is exposing the darkness of what has become religion and these rules that people have made, these traditions that people have, this to-do list to please God. And he's saying, this, is, this will not be covered up. This is put on a stand. It will expose the darkness. And he's telling them, the Jews that he's speaking to, your values are off. Your measurement is miscalculated. Your treasure is misplaced. The very worth and value you're putting on faith is off. And it will be taken from you unless. This is his warning to the Jews. In verse 24, it's fascinating. It says, pay attention to what you hear. In staff meeting, we were talking and it it came to light that this is actually in the original language. It says, see what you hear which I love. It actually sounds very Middle Eastern. See what you hear. It's almost a parable in itself. And he's telling the Jews, his audience, and he's saying, see me for who I am. You don't want to miss this. This will not be covered up. I am Jesus the Messiah. Here I am. Nothing will hide from me. I'm here to expose the heart of the law and to give faith for those that will hear. And good thing for us, he was just talking to Israel. Okay. We'll keep reading in verse 26. He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts us, puts in the middle, in the sickle, excuse me, because the harvest has come. So he's the lamp on the stand. He is who he says he is. And this kingdom starts small and inconspicuous. Now the Jews of the time and, and today... They're expecting this Messiah to come to rule the earth, to flip everything on its head, and they're waiting for this political leader. And frankly, some of the Old Testament interpretation, you can interpret it that way. And they're waiting for this. This is what they know. They're waiting for the Messiah. And he says, okay, here I am. See me for who I am. Oh, wait, the story goes on. This will be a gradual gradual thing, and you might miss it. How open are we to the kingdom of God? A lot of times in um, the Christian line of thinking, cultural Christianity will say, we start to believe that Jesus is this accepting and affirming deity where it's like, hey, we come as we are, absolutely. 
and I get to sit in that just as I am. He takes me for who I am. This is true. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus just as you are. You don't shower to take a shower, right? You come to Jesus just as you are. But let me tell you, Jesus is king. This gradual progression of the kingdom, we're growing, we're learning, and he's looking at these people that he loves so dearly. And he said, your values are off. Your measurements are miscalculated. Your treasure is misplaced. See me for who I am. How open are we really to the kingdom of God? And in this cultural Christianity, we tend to make our hope, our faith, based on ourselves. And he's looking at Jews that have built a religion around what they can do. And for many of us in our hearts, we've actually come before the Lord and said, hey, I'm a really good person. And Jesus says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Don't miss this. Your values are off. Your measurement is miscalculated. Your treasure is misplaced. Everything will come to light through our King and our Savior, Jesus. That includes hardened hearts. That includes moral moralism. So with our kids, we try to use biblical language as we discipline and instruct them. So um, an example would be where we tell Wallace, we, we don't tell him, hey, you need to be nice to your friends. Well, depending on what era you're in, that could be totally different. It depends on what neighborhood you live in. Um, and, but we say, well, be kind to your friend. Have self-control with how you're responding, how you're obeying. And this morning, I want to be really clear and use biblical language. We must die to ourselves. And the word we use for that is repent. So I want you to hear me this morning. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from this idea that we are holy enough to earn God's favor. And fall on Jesus, who is who He says He is, the lamp on a stand. Repent, turn from yourself. We have to die to ourselves. And um, I feel like culturally we're missing that uh, quite a bit. One thing that's fascinating is this parable talks about the seed as the kingdom of God. Oftentimes when we talk about this, we mention, I'm the seed, I'm going to be planted, and I get to grow, and I get to bless others. Um, again, this is actually not about you. This is talking about the kingdom of God. It's gradually growing, and it's coming to fruition. And it will bless the nations. And in fact, this will be a gradual, inconspicuous kingdom growth. And the harvest will not be as subtle.
And he says to them, your values are off, your measurements are miscalculated, your treasure is misplaced. So don't be mistaken, the harvest is coming. And there's a great hope that God is who he says he is and he's doing what he says he will do. May we not forget that. Let's keep reading in verse 30. And he said, with what we... What can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is really cool. So in the first part of Mark chapter 4, and we talked about this last week, uh, Dave walked us through this, we have the parable of the sower, arguably one of the most famous parables we know of and talk about consistently. And if you're a parent or a teacher, you'll definitely understand this. Jesus is basically saying the exact same thing in a different perspective. He's kind of repeating himself. Any good teacher will do this. Any good parent will do this. You say the same thing over and over and over. And I want you to listen to this. This is amazing. So the seed exposes the ground. Again, this is in early Mark 4. He's talking about the parable of the sower. The seed exposes the ground. The light exposes the darkness. The good soil bears fruit, and the rain of God will have a harvest. The fruit of the good soil will multiply and the blessing of the mustard seed will give shade to the birds. It will bless the nations. It's amazing. He's such a good teacher. It's fun to, it's fun to read through this. The question I have for you, and it may sound random, but have you ever fallen off a cliff? Maybe a few people. Okay. I worked in Colorado for a season, and part of that was uh, rock climbing, whitewater, backpacking. And my first, I wish I was making this up, my first rock climbing trip, um, I had tied all the knots, I had set up my rope system for these customers from Texas. He was a Texas businessman, I can still see his face. I hope you're not here. He was standing right here, and he's starting to you know, get the feel for how to stop, how to start. So I'm holding it, and I'm on the edge of the cliff. It's about 100, 150 feet. And he looks at me, and he says, are we ready? I said, yeah, man. Whenever you're ready, you start. You know how to work it. And almost, I don't understand it to this day. He goes, okay. <laughs> he just started falling. And it was, had to be 6 to 10 feet. And I remember standing there just thinking, I'm going to watch this man die. And he was, he was a, bigger than me, and I, I couldn't really get it strong enough on the rope. And almost without missing a beat, I say that, but it was 10 feet or so, he grabs the rope and just pulls it up and kind of stops himself, and he starts twirling on the middle of the line. Oh, my goodness. My boss looks over at me. Anyway, it was a whole thing. Um, <laughs> In fact, as far as I know, she told me, she said, you're the first person that's actually broken my equipment on this rock. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. One of the things that busted. Anyways, 
Um, if you were falling off a cliff, and just like the cartoons, if there was a vine that's sticking out, and as you're falling and you, you reach and you grab this vine, you're not wondering how strong the vine is. You're falling and you see it and you just grab it. Just like this man. He's not thinking, I wonder if this rope is actually strong enough. If I just pull here, maybe I'll stop falling. The object of our faith matters more than the size and the amount of our faith. The object of our faith matters more than the amount and the size of our faith. These parables, all of chapter 4, I would say, explain that the kingdom is governed, ruled, ordered by God. He is the value. He is the treasure. He is the measurement. And this isn't a a teaching on, hey, strap up your boots, have more faith, you can do better. No, this is see Jesus. Obey Jesus. Know Jesus. Value Jesus. The object of our faith matters more than the size and the amount. And if you are the object of your faith, you're in a spiral to destruction and death. And that is really clear, not just in the scriptures, but in history, I would say. The values are off, the measurement is miscalculated, the treasure is misplaced. So these are interesting teachings. These are philosophical in nature. Um, And the idea that we can sit in a room and we can argue, oh, actually, I think the seed might mean this. Uh, Actually, the mustard seed, it grows into this, which symbolizes this. Uh, We can dialogue about this, which is one of the beautiful things about the parables. We should know these. We should teach our children these. We should be telling others these wonderful stories of what the kingdom is like. But here in the West, we tend to idolize knowledge. And in fact, knowledge that we can even get from a Sunday morning like this, we tend to idolize it. And we say, oh, yes, yeah, Brandon, that's true. Yeah, absolutely, thank you. Mark 4, so true. And then we walk out, and our hope and our foundation and the very lives we're living are based on ourselves. And we love the idea of knowledge. And I want to tell you this morning, I am not here to entertain you. We're not here to be entertained. If you think about it this way, the kingdom of God, so we're talking about the lamp on the stand, who Jesus is, and he hands the kingdom off to a group of people. He hands the kingdom off to obedient fishermen. I'll say that again. The creator, the savior, hands the kingdom to obedient fishermen. 
And in fact, he takes it away from who? The religious, pious, all-knowing leaders. You cannot know Jesus and not obey Jesus. He is king. And we're in a time of information overload. You may say, well, duh, Brandon, you know, where have you been? I want to read this to you. Uh, in 2020, there were, this is last year, there were 40 times more bytes of data on the internet than there are stars in the observable universe. Some estimates suggest that by 2025, 463 exabytes of data will be created each day online. That is the equivalent of 212,765,957 DVDs per day. And this last one, five exabytes, exabytes is equivalent to all words ever spoken by humans since the dawn of time. In 2025, that amount of data will be created every 15 minutes. There is a wave, if you're not already overtaken by this, of information that we live in. This leads to apathy. It leads to decision paralysis. And as believers, I want to tell you, stand on what is true. Scriptures are our guide. Jesus is our king. And if the information, if the knowledge is coming from just one Sunday morning, maybe four times a month, that wave will destroy you. We have to know the truth. And we've talked about the truth through these parables. He says, see me for who I am. I'm the lamp on the stand. This inconspicuous, gradual kingdom is coming. It will be fruitful. And now let's finish Mark 4 with an opportunity to consider obedience to what we know. Chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, it, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to encourage you I've heard taught sometimes that, oh, you're going through a hard time. Just, I mean, trudge through it. Get through it. Absolutely. And I read this and I think it is okay to pray for the storm to stop. 
It is okay to pray for the storm to stop. And let me tell you, if the storm does stop, if there's peace, if there's calm, as an answer to your prayer, as the people of God, we say, Jesus is our King. Praise to Him who calms the storm. And if the storm continues, as the people of God, we say, Jesus is our King. Praise to Him who holds me in this storm. Jesus is our King. And let me free you up a little bit. You can pray for the storm to stop. I was encouraged thinking through that. Um, Something fascinating is the Christian message does not start with accept Jesus as Lord. Think about this. The Christian message does not start with accept Jesus as Lord. It actually starts with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible teaches that God is the sole source of the entire created order. Now think about this. Jesus is looking at people and he says, see me for who I am. Nothing can hide here. The sole source of the entire created order. May we know Jesus. May we obey Jesus. He is God. And he is not asleep, but he is ever present. This is amazing. In Psalm, we find this in 107. Just a few years before Jesus is calming the storm. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Absolutely amazing. He is God. In verse 35, it says, on that day. So imagine you're the disciples. You've been hearing these confusing, philosophical, kingdom of God illustrations. You're asking, but you don't quite understand. And Jesus is like, okay, well, let's, let's go over there. And you're like, oh my goodness, okay. And they get in the boat, and the storm comes. And the grace of this is that now we have the parables And we have the practice. It's absolutely fascinating. So we know that the cold air comes from the mountains and the warm air from the Sea of Galilee. They clash right here. And we've always known there to be amazing thunderstorms here. They're quick, they're strong, they're powerful. And just like we know that, the disciples, most of them were fishermen and they're very familiar with this body of water. And yet still, It's fascinating. He says, this was enough for the professional fishermen. They come to Jesus, fearful. Do you not care that we are perishing? It's so fascinating. Do you not care that we are er, perishing? In ancient times, the sea is known as this uncontrollable chaos. It is the picture of destruction. It is the picture of chaos and only God can control it this was 
um, the Arabs in the Middle East still say something similar to this. Only God controls the waves. So how many of you have heard of King Canute? Excellent. He had tons of people. He was a king. So all these people would come to him and they say, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're the best, you're the strongest, etc. He said, oh, how interesting, am I divine? And he sets up a day to go out to the shore and he holds up his hand and he says, stop. And what do you think happened? Nothing. Don't be deceived. You are not God. He is king. He is God. We can know him and we obey him. It's wonderful. Even this morning as we're praying for, um, for you, for our time here this morning, we say, in the name of Jesus, we pray this. And all over the world, they say, in the name of Right? Fill in the blank. Jesus stands up on the boat. And he says, okay, in the name of God. Or he stands up in the boat and he says, okay, in the name of the Almighty. No, Jesus stands up and what does he say? This is amazing. In other parts of Scripture, we know that Jesus talks to the Pharisees about the Sabbath, and they say, they're questioning him on the rest. And he says, I'm not instructing you to rest. I'm telling you I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am rest. I am rest. And here he stands up, and he's not even saying, hey, I'm a man of power. These guys don't even know who I am. Watch this. No, he's saying, I am Power. See me for who I am. The values are off. The measurements are miscalculated. The treasure is misplaced. See me for who I am. And we all have storms. And we go to God and say, do you not care? And they go to him and Jesus' response is basically, oh, you should know better. Where is your faith? You're not obeying what you know. You're not seeing what you're hearing. If you knew how powerful I am and how much I love you, you would not be scared. Christ is much more than we first perceive him to be. The object of our faith matters more than the amount or the size of our faith. And we have to ask ourselves, how open are we to the kingdom of God? 
There's a wonderful quote in a wonderful book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, C.S. Lewis's Narnia series. That's the right word. Narnia series. And he talks about how people begin to question Aswan as the king, as the leader. And he's not very safe. And Mr. Beaver, he says, of course he's not safe. Who said anything about being safe? But he's good. He's the king. The values are off. The measurements are miscalculated. The treasure is misplaced. Now what's fascinating about this passage is it is so close to the story of Jonah. Almost identical in how it's told. Um, I think Mark was intentionally writing to stir some of these things. And we know that Jesus was also quite aware of Jonah. That sounds silly to say. But um, in Matthew 12, he says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. They're saying, Jesus, just show us a sign. You're saying these things, but can you just show us a sign? And he said, the story of Jonah, the miraculous story of Jonah, the people that repented because of his story will condemn you because you're not seeing me for who I am. See what you hear. And Mark is showing us who Jesus is and at the same time deconstructing this idea that we've built around tradition and religion and for the sake of knowing Jesus and true worship. It's absolutely amazing. So if you read the story of Jonah and you read this passage kind of side by side, there are a few differences, of course. And at first time you read it, you may say, oh, well, they end differently which is really fascinating. So just to remind you, these guys come to Jonah and say, wait, 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 like, who are you? Where are you from? Is this because of you? And he said, oh, actually, yeah, my God is angry with me. And he walks to the side, throws himself overboard. And amazingly, the storm calms down. Jesus stands up and he says, be still, and the storm calms down. It seems to be quite different. However, Jesus willingly throws himself into the storm of sin and chaos. And in fact, he is the only one that calms the storm. And he gives of himself for the sake of peace, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of reconciling with his people. And while Jonah goes and he can only do so much, Jesus is actually fully going in and he rises up just as Jonah comes to the shore with the good news. Jesus raises up from the dead. You have been reconciled to God because of me. How open are we to the kingdom of God? Do you know who he is? 
Do you know what Jesus has done for you? He is definitely this powerful, kingly deity. And He loves us. Do you not care that we're perishing is the call. And He says, oh, you don't know who I am. How open are we to the kingdom of God? So Mark's gospel is gradually revealing who Jesus is by deconstructing the preconceived notions of religion. And this morning, as we come and we read Jesus, he says, see me for who I am. See what you hear. You're hearing me. Now see me. May our preconceived notions of Christianity, may the routine of how we do church, may these boxes of faith that we've created, oh, can we hold those open and say, Jesus, you are king. Can we know you? Can we obey you? How open are we to the kingdom of God? So in closing, and really as more of a response, we get to do communion together. And I want to tell you, communion's kind of the fancy word for the people of God remembering who Jesus is. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, first of all, consider Jesus as king and what he's done for you. But I also invite you to just observe um, this communion is a proclamation of God's people remembering who Jesus is. And I don't want you to proclaim that if it's not your actual proclamation. Truly, um, between you and the powerful creator, it does not fit well. Uh, May we proclaim that with a seriousness. And so as the people of God, we're going to take a few minutes and I want us to listen. I want us to hear the Spirit. It calls us to repentance, to obedience. That's what He does. May our values be in Him. May our measurement be Christ. May our treasure be Jesus. May we repent of our sin. May we know and obey Him. So I'll give you just a few minutes. Let me reflect on that a little bit. as the true and better Jonah, the foundation of our faith, the light on the stand, the Lord of the harvest, 
we this morning remember who our King is, and by His body, we're brought into the light. And we remember who our King is. By His blood, we are now God's covenant people. Lord, we ask that you give us ears to hear. We ask that our unity be based in you. Spirit, we ask that you give us boldness and clarity and truth. May we know you. May we obey you. May we see you for who you are. May we see what we're hearing. Lord, may our faith be founded in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.